The context of the whole book of Hebrews, it's important to remember as we read through Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 has so much meat that we can almost think of it that it's its own book. It's its own entity. It stands alone by itself. But in the full context, again, it's in the book of Hebrews that's written to Hebrews so that they can stop acting like Hebrews. You guys are good, right? So that's what it's all about. It's encouraging these men and women, hey, don't go back to your former way of living. Don't look back. Don't go back to that old lifestyle. Stay the course. Press on. Move forward. Doesn't matter what's going around you. Doesn't matter who's coming against you or or who's hating on you. Just press forward and look forward. Again, being reminded of the context, chapter 10, verse 35 through 39. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul." So again, he was encouraging these believers, hey, don't go back, but press on. Don't go back, but push in even further into Christ. Have we pressed into Christ? Have we said, there's no doubt that today I am closer in my walk with the Lord than April, right, when this started, or March. I don't even remember when this started, right? Have we pressed into the Lord? Have we grown in him? Because we, hopefully, we are not of those who draw back, but we are those who press in. We are living by faith, right? Hopefully that's us. And now verse 13, we start off again. It tells us, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So first and foremost, within this verse, these all died in faith, right? They died in faith, being in faith, being wrapped up in faith, even though they had not yet received the promise. So can we all agree that this totally blows prosperity gospel out of the water? Can we all agree on that, right? Can we all say that? There's no room for that within Scripture. If the men and women in the hall of faith, right, the men and women we're supposed to look at and try to emulate, the men and women that we're supposed to be encouraged of that we shouldn't fall back and draw away, if all of them did not realize their promises in this life, then how dare any man or any woman say that it's all by your faith, it's all by what you name and claim, right? Uh, I was talking with one of the pastors and someone was concerned about somebody else because they're in the health and wealth movement, but they're scared of getting out of their house. And I'm like, that makes no sense, right? Practice what you preach. If that's really what you believe, go out there and do whatever you want. But we don't see them doing that. Now we, we look at it, right? We break it down. These believers, they died in faith while yet not having received the promises, And what we don't see here in Hebrews 11 is we don't see any anger. We don't see any bitterness. We don't see any resentment. We don't see any shaking their fist at God while they were on their deathbed. We don't see any, this was all a lie, this was all fake. But they died in expectation and in hope of the promises that would one day come. 
right? Some of the men here, the, the great act of faith that they did was in their death, they honored the Lord or they were looking forward to the next thing that was coming. In a lot of movies, right, we see it. There's nothing new under the sun. And in a lot of movies, there's one character that he's sort of leading this other character on their way. And then they have to die. And when they die, they sort of encourage the, the person to go through and finish off the mission. And that's basically what it's telling us here of Abraham, of Enoch, of Noah, that these men, they died not being able to truly realize the promises. But what were these promises? And most of them, they do come through Abraham. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. We'll be looking at a lot from Abraham like we looked at last week together. A lot of this still has to do with him. And in Genesis chapter 12, we can be reminded of some of the promises of Abraham. And again, how the Lord sees us through the blood of Christ. We don't see him harping on Abraham's mess-ups and mistakes and sin and lack of faith, which if we're honest, as we go through Scripture, it looks like 50-50. 50-50, complete lack of faith, and then 50, he's walking in faith. But in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it tells us, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right There we see about seven or eight different promises given to Abraham and we should take note that Abraham, as soon as the Lord gave him the promises, in verse 4, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Again, where the Lord sees Abraham. And now we jump to verse 7, right, as we looked at last time together, his half obedience. But in verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Again, Abraham, he glories not when he sees the promises being fulfilled, but he glories that God would even make a promise to him. Right? Is that where we're at in our walk with the Lord? Because that's going to show if we're truly in a place of humility and reverence that, hey, God, you are God and I'm, I'm just a maggot. I'm just dirt, I'm just garbage, and yet you, God, creator of heaven and earth, are willing to make a promise to me? Right? That's what we see in Abraham. He's not glory, he's, he will glory him later, he will worship him and honor him later, but just at the mere fact of God talking to him, he's building an altar and he's worshiping the Lord. Before any promise has been met, while he's still getting older and older, and his wife is getting older and older, and there's no kids yet, he's still saying, Lord, you're amazing. Lord, why would you want to make a promise to me? Lord, why would you want to speak to me? And again, family, this is the heart we should have as a believer. Just blown away that the Lord would speak to us. Just blown away that we're able to read our Bible in the morning and God can speak to us. Do we have that childlike faith? Do we have that excitement? Do we have that worship right away, right? The wonder of being able to talk with God merited worship and thanksgiving to God. 
In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, it reminds us of some more of the promises that God had made to Abraham. In Galatians chapter 3, again, the context here, this church, they were dealing with men and women who they were attributing the law as a way towards righteousness or the law as a way towards getting right with God. And Paul tells them, no, it's all through faith. It's all through faith. That's how you are just before God. That's how you're righteous before God. It's all through faith. And then in chapter 3, he looks back towards Abraham to remind them that it's only through faith that we can be right with God. It's not our works. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We've talked about that a lot. But in chapter 3... Verse 8 and 9, and then verse 16, it tells us, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Verse 16, it tells us, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, And two seeds... As of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what's the greatest promise that was given to Abraham that he didn't get to see? It's Jesus. It's the coming of Jesus that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. If you're willing to get more exercise with your fingers, let's jump to Genesis chapter 22. And here we see the Lord telling Abraham, Hey, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And again, Abraham died without seeing Jesus. Enoch, he got taken up before he got to see Jesus. All these men, these women in the hall of faith, many of them, they died before being able to see Jesus. Genesis chapter 22, verse 13 through 18. This is when he's asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. It says, then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, Your only son, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." Again, he's encouraging these Hebrews, don't go back to the way you used to live. Press on, have faith. Look at Abraham. 
Look at Sarah. Look at these men and women who love the Lord, believe the Lord, and they didn't even get to see Jesus Christ. How much more should we not draw back? How much more should we not fall back to sin? How much more shall we press on and press in? Again, the greatest of the greatest and grandest of the grandest promises ever made to Abraham, it wasn't Isaac, it wasn't the nations, it wasn't the blessings, it was Jesus. Is that Jesus would come through him. And again, this promise is one of the first promises in all the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 3. And the Lord is so good. Again, this came way before the law, way before Moses, way before anyone and anything else except Adam, Eve, Satan, and the first time we see sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Again, family, no one from Adam to Abraham were able to receive the promise of Jesus Christ in their lifetime. And yet they did not draw back. How little excuse do we have to draw back, right? Very few people deny that Jesus exists, right? Very, very few people will deny that. It's, it's a fact. It's a fact in history. They try to discredit who he is. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He's a friend. He's a this. He's a that. He's my homeboy, right? People try to, he's my lawn guy, right? They call Jesus. They call Jesus all sorts of things, right? But he existed. There's no doubt about it. And now we have history. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have the nation of Israel. We have the church. We have the Bible in any version, any language that we have. What excuse do we have to draw back to sin? What excuse do we have to go back to the former way we used to live? We have none. We have no excuse, right? If these men and women who were totally flawed were able to press on and press in until the day they died, how much more should we? Again, we continue through that first verse back in Hebrews chapter 11. Right? It says that they went on, they died, and they weren't able to receive the promise. They died in faith. Now the next part in verse 13, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Again, they were assured of this promise even though they did not see it, and they did not see it not even in their own lifetime. Family, are we assured of the promises of God even though we don't see them? We should be. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need faith. There has to be the element of not seeing the Lord, that element of not being able to see these promises, not see these things, and still trusting him. Are we assured? Are we, man, there's no doubt this is going to happen. That word assured, it means provide a guarantee to be sure or certain. Is it a guarantee to you that, man, Jesus, he came, he died, he resurrected? Is it a guarantee to you that you're going to heaven when you die? Is that where you're at, that it's a joy, that it changes the way you live? I'm getting ahead of myself, but it changed the way these men and women looked at their lives. How much they, were, they guaranteed, they believed it, they knew it. They knew who Jesus was even though they never saw him, even though he hadn't even been born yet. They were assured of it. And why were they assured even though it hadn't even happened yet? We can be reminded of verse 12, right? We can be reminded of Sarah. It tells us, 
Sorry, verse 11, because she judged him faithful who had promised. How faithful is the Lord? And again, I remind you guys, this is what true faith looks like. Lord, this doesn't make sense. Lord, I don't understand this. But Lord, you're faithful. Lord, you're always faithful. Even though this isn't making any sense, this is making no sense, Lord, you're always faithful, right? If we're reminded of true faith, what it says is, God, you are worthy. You will do your will no matter what. Lord, you're going to do you no matter what. David Brown, again, that quote, God is able to make good on his own word in spite of all obstacles. God is able to make good on his own word in spite of all obstacles. Right? We have those people in our lives, the people that we don't trust them further than we can throw them, right? Everybody has that person in their life. Hey, could you lend me 20 bucks? I promise I'll pay you back, right? And you're like, you're not going to pay me back, man. You never, you've never paid me back, right? You're not going to pay me back now. And then there's those certain people that we trust them with our lives, with our livelihood. Certain people in the church, if they'd ask you, hey, let's go to Timbuktu. All right, man, let's go. Let's go. I'll follow you. I know because of you've proven throughout my life that I can trust in you. So again, family, is God trustworthy in our lives? Has he not been trustworthy to give him everything, to give him everything? All that we have. And because they were assured, again, like Sarah, because they judged him as faithful, they embraced the promises and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Family, a part of being a Christian, a part of being a believer, again, is that element of faith. Being assured of things we have not seen yet. Are we assured of heaven? Are we assured of the rapture? Right? There's Christians today who mock other Christians for believing or teaching the rapture. They just say, hey, you're just trying to get out of it. The boat's sinking and you're just hoping for a rocket ship to get out of it. No, it's biblical. It's unbiblical to not live this life with any faith, right? Hebrews 11, that's unbiblical. It's impossible to please God without faith. So if you're only going based on what you see, based on what you feel, based on what you're told, there's no faith involved. You're not pleasing God. But now for going by faith, Lord, I trust in you, even though I haven't seen it yet. Even though I haven't seen Christ yet, even though I haven't seen heaven yet, even though I haven't seen the rapture yet, even though I haven't seen any of these things, Lord, I believe that these things are going to happen. And I'm assured of them. I'm going to embrace them. And it's going to change who I am. It's going to change the way I live. Did these men and women not go through tribulation? No, all of them went through trials. All of them went through tribulation. It's not that we're just looking for an easy way out. It's that we're trying to be biblical. We're trying to honor the Lord. Again, they embraced the promise even though he was far away. They embraced it. They loved on it. They took it in their hearts. That word embrace them, I think we can really take this to heart. It's a word in Greek that means to salute or wave to a friend who is at a distance. That's what that word embraced means, right? Today, right, it's not that they embrace the promises, but in a sense they wave to the promises, right? Hey, Jesus, you're not here now, but one day you are coming. One day you're coming. One day you're coming, right? And Abraham, he was blessed. He was able to meet with Jesus before he was born by Mary, right? They embraced the promises. What did they do after they embraced these promises? They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. On this earth. Family, are you there? 
Are you of this world or are you not? Right? What's the first adjective that you use to describe yourself, right? I like long walks on the beach. No, it shouldn't be that. I say, hey, I'm a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus and the word of God. That should be the first adjective that describes us. More than American, more than Cuban, more than Puerto Rican, more than anything else. The first adjective that should describe us as, hey, I am a stranger. I am a pilgrim on this planet. This is not my home. It changed their entire lifestyle even though they hadn't seen it. Even though they were waving to the promise from afar off, they confessed, hey, this is going to change my life completely around. Again, you can be reminded a vagabond is someone who has no home. An alien is someone who has a home somewhere else, yet they don't have permanent status where they're at right now. A sojourner, they are a temporary resident, and a pilgrim is on their journey home. That's how they describe themselves. Hey, I'm not from around these parts. I am on a journey home. I'm on a journey home. Is that you? Are you on a journey home? Or if you remind it in Hebrews chapter 2, what was the warning? Don't drift away. Don't drift away. In this season, it's easy to drift, right? You get on the couch. You pull up the lazy boy. I don't know how many people still have lazy boys. You pull up the lazy boy, right? And you just drift. And you go wherever Netflix takes you. You go wherever Disney Plus takes you. You go wherever social media or YouTube takes you, right? It's easy to drift, but it's hard to journey. It's hard to be on a path saying, hey, I'm going down the hard path. And what does it tell us about the path to heaven? It's narrow. Few people will find it. So are you on that journey, that very narrow journey, that very hard and difficult journey? Is that the journey that you're on? Or are you on the wide path, the easy path? Right, More than ever in this season, I've been talking about it with my wife. This, man, just be careful with the people who are agreeing with what you think, right? I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying. Certain people during this season, they've ascribed to certain beliefs and to certain things, and they believe it with all their heart. But do you realize the type of people that are agreeing with you, right? Are those the people you truly want in your lives? Is that truly the people you want to emulate and you want to be like? Or are you realizing, oh my goodness, who have I surrounded myself with? Right? Who are the birds that I have finding myself flocking together with? Are we with those believers who inspire us and strengthen us to be more like Christ? Or are we around believers who are carnal, who are about this world, and are believing in a false gospel, false trends? Who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with? Who are the people that are telling you, yes, you're, you're on the path, you're following the Lord, you're seeking the Lord? Take account, family. Sit back and take account. Look at the people around you and say, Lord, is this truly the men and women around me that are going to strengthen me, that are going to sharpen me, and bring me more and more to your throne room? Or are these people that are making me be even more mediocre? Am I the sharpest knife in the drawer of all my friends, right? Am I the smartest person? Am I the holiest or the most righteous person in my group of friends? Because then you need a new group of friends, You need people around you that can pull you up, not bring you down. Again, they said, hey, I am not from this place. They confessed, hey, I am a stranger and I am a pilgrim on this earth. 
Family, it's easy to look at the news and be disheartened like I talked about in the beginning. But be reminded, America is not going to fix the problem. No man is going to fix the problem. Only Christ. Only Christ is going to fix the problems that are going on in this nation and in this world. We may get a little life raft for a little longer, right? We may get a little gust of wind to help us out for a little bit. But God's word tells us it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get harder. More pestilences, more quarantines, more stock market crashes, more earthquakes, more, more, more. That's what God's word tells us. So is our hope in Christ or is our hope in man? Again, where are we at? They were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Family, what are you seeking what are you hungry for, right? We've talked about this in this season. What are you most excited for? The more I see the news, the more I read God's word, it's, Lord, could you come today, right? Perhaps today, Jesus, would you come today? I love my life. I love my family. I love my kids. I love the church. I love my friends. But Jesus, it would be way better to be with you right now. It would be so much better to be with you right now. Is that where we're at? Is that the the hunger, the desire, the excitement that we have? And it's great to be reminded as incredible and amazing as it is to be able to worship not alone. It's it's a blessing to be here and hear you guys singing with us. And as awesome as tonight was, as awesome as Sunday was, can you imagine heaven? Can you imagine that? Does your heart leap for joy in that or do you just sort of roll your eyes and say, yeah, that's stupid? It's going to show where you're at. It's going to show truly where your home is. If there's that hunger and thirst for home in heaven or if there's a hunger and thirst for this world. And we can be honest with ourselves and say, Lord, I have no excitement for heaven. I have no hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, would you change that in me? Would you change that in my heart? Would you change that in my mind? Again, when you're, when you're out and about and you're in a hard and difficult place, right, there's no place like home. Even when you're on a vacation and things are good, at a certain point you say, man, I just want to go back home. Is that excitement there? Is that desire there? Lord, I just want to go home. I'm not from around here. They don't talk like me. They don't act like me. They're crazy. They're broken. What in the world is going on, Lord? Is that us? As we look at the news, I hope more than ever you realize, Lord, I ain't from around these parts, right? Lord, what's going on on the news? The people who are in leadership, the people who are at the top, right? You're really telling me the best we had in America were these two people, right? Is that really the best we had even today? Lord, is this really the best we have in all of America, right? This is the best of the best. Lord, I'm not from around here. Lord, would you take us home? And again, that's not for us to just do nothing and wait till Jesus comes home. It's to press on. It's to press on. It's to fight harder than ever before. Uh, in youth group, we used to always play different games, right? And there's one thing playing a game when there's no timer, when there's no shot clock, and you're just told, hey, go, and then they tell you stop. But when you're playing a game and they say, hey, 30 seconds left, hey, 20 seconds left, hey, 10 seconds left, what happens in your mind? For some of us, we just give up. No, right? That's not, that's not what happens. We fight. We muster any, any energy we have left. We get any mental toughness we have. And we say, okay, okay, I, I can make it another five seconds. 
Okay, I, I, can push, I can push another 10 seconds. Okay, I can push another 5 seconds. And as we see the days getting darker and darker, that's what it should drive us to do. Okay, Lord, things are getting crazier. Okay, God, I can press on another 5 seconds, God. I can press on another 30 seconds. I'm seeking for that homeland. Lord, at any moment, you're coming. I'm ready for the trials. I'm ready for the tribulations. This is not my home. Family, are we seeking that homeland? Verse 15, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Again, verse 15, if their focus, if they had called to mind where they had come from, they had the opportunity to go back. But the men and women in the hall of faith, they pressed on. They didn't fall back, right? Lot's wife, what did she do? She looked back. She looked back at the former glory. Sometimes you hear people telling their testimony, and it almost seems like their BC days were better than their after Christ days. The excitement, the vigor, the hunger, the joy is all in what they used to do. It's not in what they do now. Again, family, is that us? Are we on the journey that we're excited for the ending place, right? There's some people, oh, it's all about the journey. No, 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 man. It's all about the destination. It is completely about the destination. That's how we should be living. We shouldn't be, be calling to mind where we had come out of. Listening to Joe Foge, it's so true. The people of Israel, they get out of Egypt. They're, again, granted, they're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. They begin complaining and they say, oh, man, right, Ovey, right, oh, man, do you, remember his, do you remember Egypt? Do you remember what Egypt was like? They don't say they beat us, they whipped us, they killed our brothers, they killed our sisters, they made us throw our babies into the Nile. No, what do they say? Do you remember the garlic, right? Do you remember the onions? Do you remember the leeks, right? Who's excited about garlic, leeks, and onions, right? That's what they were talking about. Who cares that they made us kill our babies in the Nile? Do you remember how good it was in our sin? Do you remember how good the BC days were? No, we should never say that. The BC days are horrible. We had no drive. We had no purpose. We were dead in our sins. If we would have died that day, we would have been damned to hell for forever. There's no joy. There's no glory in the BC days. And that's why there should be no joy and no glory to be in sin right now. To be messing around with temptation, those things should be dead and disgusting to us. Again, Lot with his wife, with his daughters, his wife looked back. Again, Joe Foge, made me laugh so hard. He said, you know, I don't know what was going on with Lot and his wife. You know, maybe he said, hey, honey, what's that over there? Right? I, don't, I don't know what happened with Lot and his wife. But she looked back. And again, in the Hebrew, it means that she longed for she looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed for its sins and disgust by an angel, and she longed for it. You say, man, if I could only have that sin, if I could only be back in Sodom and Gomorrah, family, that shouldn't be us. We should be pressing on. We should be on that narrow road, on that journey, that hard road, that hard path towards heaven. Verse 16, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Right? Again, family, is that, our, is that our desire? Hey, I love America. I'm proud to be an American. It's the best country in all the world. It's jacked up. It's messed up. But so are the rest of them. But this is not my home. This is not our home. Now, we should fight for 
the best we can offer to our kids. I want my kids to have a pretty good life. I don't know about you guys. I want my kids to have a pretty good life, to be able to have the freedoms that I've had. But this is not their home, hopefully. Hopefully the best they have is not America. Hopefully the best they have is the place where there's no more crying, no more weeping, no more theft. You don't have to worry about anyone stealing anything. Second half of verse 16, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Again, we're reminded of Romans 1.16, right? Those Christian rappers, they used to at least say that they were not ashamed of the gospel, right? That's where we should be at. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. But, but do you realize that we have to sort of psych ourselves up sometimes to not be ashamed of the gospel? We have to like remind ourselves, hey, Zach, yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't be ashamed of this. How often we're ashamed of God. We're ashamed to talk about God in our workplace, ashamed to talk about God with our family. And yet God is not ashamed to be called theirs. He's not ashamed to be called our God. Right? We, we have those family members. We have those people that's like, man, how in the world are we related, right? How, tell, me you're not, tell me you're not adopted. Please tell me you're not adopted, right? We're ashamed of people within our own family. If I'm honest, I'm ashamed of people that maybe one day they're going to be in heaven with me. And I'm ashamed of them. But yet God looks at us and he says, hey, I'm not ashamed to be your God. Forget about being ashamed of the gospel. Hey, Zach, I'm not ashamed to say, hey, you're one of mine. Hey, Zach right there, that's my son. That's my beloved. I sent my son, my only son, to die for that guy. Yeah, I'm not ashamed of that. Again, does that put any weight in our heart? Does that draw us to say, Lord, I'm giving you my whole life. If you're not ashamed of me, family, friends, the world, anything, I should never be ashamed of you. And Why? Because it did not matter what happened, right? In a sense, they trusted in the promise. They died in faith. They hadn't received the promises. They saw them afar off. They were assured in them. They embraced them. They confessed them. They, They allowed it to change their lives. They didn't draw back. They didn't look back. But they were excited for their future homeland. And because of this, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Again, Revelation, it tells us the cowardly, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The people who are afraid to say, hey, yeah, that's, I, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm, a, I'm God. Not in moments of struggle, but for their whole life. The fruit of their whole life is, hey, I'm just an undercover Christian. Their whole life, I don't know if you're making it in. Again, like we talked about, you're living in a question mark. I don't want you to live in a question mark. I don't want to live in a question mark. Abide. Abide. Don't be ashamed of him. Right? What does the Lord tell us? When we confess him before men... He confesses us up there before the Father. That's where we should be at. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Again, Abraham through faith, the Lord tested him. He said, Abraham, that promise, the best of the best that I have to offer you, hey, I want you to sacrifice that. I want you to give that up. And to Abraham, it says, he offered up Isaac. In Abraham's mind, the words here in the Hebrew, in the Greek, it was as good as done. Lord, you asked me of this, I'm doing it. I don't care about the sacrifice. I love you. I care about the promises. But God, that promise is on you. I'm obedient to you. Is that where we're at? 
Or are we so focused on holding the promise, coddling the promise, that we're saying, Lord, I, I can't let go of this. You promised it to me. Lord, I need to hold on to this for dear life. You promised this to me. You gave this to me. And maybe the Lord is saying, no, you need to offer that up. You need to give that up. Right? Looking at the book of Hebrews, looking at the book of Acts, there were many Jewish people that they were holding on to the old promises. They were holding on to the old law once God was saying, hey, let go of that. Give that up. There is something new and better here for you. But Abraham, he believed. Verse 18, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Again, the huge promise that was laid in Isaac and in his life. Verse 19, what did Abraham believe? He concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Again, to Abraham, Isaac was as good as dead. He had done it in his heart and in his mind. He had done it, but the Lord, he stopped him. The Lord stopped him. Again, family, are we willing to sacrifice anything for the Lord? Is that where we're at? The thing that we love most, are we willing to sacrifice that for the Lord? If we're not, it's an idol. It's as, it's as plain and simple as that. Even as last week we were together, we looked at Jacob and Israel, right? How he had to clean house. He had to get rid of all the idols. Anything we're not willing to give up for the Lord, simply put, it's an idol. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. We've gone through the life of Isaac. His peak was the story we just talked about, right? With him and his dad, we don't see anything really spiritual out of Isaac. And yet the way that God sees Isaac through the blood of Christ is, hey, that guy belongs in the hall of faith, right? That's how the Lord sees him. In, by faith, he blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Again, this is sweet for us. We're seeing the change in Jacob. We're seeing the difference in Jacob. Is he a model citizen, right? Wives used to tell your husbands, can't you just be more like Jacob, right? No, never. Never say that. I hope you don't say that, right? And he's a terrible person. And yet the work that the Lord does through him, he becomes Israel. He becomes judged by God, governed by God. Is that us? That can be us. At the end of his life, what is he doing? He blessed each of the sons of Joseph. He looked towards the wife who he really and truly loved, and he gave the birthright to Joseph, the firstborn of the wife who he truly loved. And he blessed both of them, worshiping as he leaned on the top of his staff. Wasn't cursing God, wasn't screaming out of fear, wasn't saying, what about all the promises? No, as he's dying... He's blessing his sons, his grandsons, and he's worshiping, leaning on the top of his staff. Finally, verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Again, this may sound weird, faith, bones, right? Faith is to just say where you want to get buried when you die. Of a no family, by faith, Joseph, he believed that his people would one day leave Egypt and move into their promised land. The land which God had promised to his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather. And this act, seen by God, seen by Jesus, was by faith. He said, hey, don't leave my bones here. 
put them in a box, put them in a, in a casket, and leave them in the middle of the city as a reminder, this isn't our home. Hey, Egypt, this is not our home. One day, you guys, we're going to be in our homeland, the homeland that has been promised to us, that has been promised to our dads, that has been promised to our granddads. One day, we will be in that home. So, family, I pray, I hope that you continue to live by faith. Again, it's sad. In this day and age, the thing that bums me out the most is just Christians talking trash about other Christians. Looking down at other Christians. Looking down because they believe in the rapture. Looking down because Chuck Smith believed in the rapture or Chuck Smith had a rapture service and he was sorely disappointed, right? No. We live by faith. That's the way we should be living is with faith, is with anticipation, is with expectation. It's biblical. Paul, what did Paul believe? In his lifetime, Jesus would come. That's what Paul believed. Do we look down upon him for believing in the rapture or believing that Jesus was going to come in his day? No. We love Paul, right? Most of us say he's the best Christian ever. So for us, we are to live in faith and hope even if we're wrong, even if we mess up. The Lord, he looks at our heart. Again, so if what we're doing, it's not sinful. If what we're doing is biblical. If what we're doing, it doesn't say in the Bible, hey, this is wrong. Hey, man, do it in faith. Believe in the Lord. Love on the Lord. Be in good counsel. Be surrounded by a good cloud of witnesses, right? Like Hebrews 12. But be careful, family. Be careful that you're telling someone that they should be living like this or living like that. Because we should be living by faith. That's the way that we should be living. We should be living looking towards heaven, knowing that, hey, this world is not my home. I'm going to do my best while I'm here. I'm going to do the best for my sons, for my daughters. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best for you guys, for my neighbor. But this world is not my home. And if you're saved, this world is not your home. We should be looking forward to heaven more than anything else.